Welcome to MS Minute with DCND, your podcast for understanding multiple sclerosis. Every month, our MS experts tackle a different topic to help you manage your disease and live a better life. DCND is a private neurology practice based out of Dayton, Ohio. It's certified by the National MS Society as a comprehensive MS care center. Please note this podcast and its content is designed for educational and informational purposes only. Welcome to MS Minute with DCND, and thank you so much for joining us. In order to confirm a diagnosis for multiple sclerosis, your provider needs to rule out other possible explanations. Today, we're going to be discussing some of these other diseases that can be causing MS-related symptoms. Joining me is neurologist Dr. Doug Pugar. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. It's a pleasure to be here. So why is it so important to rule out other diagnoses that could explain some of these symptoms? Well, the main reason that we would want to make sure the diagnosis is accurate is because the majority of the treatments that we use for managing multiple sclerosis work by suppressing the immune system because MS is an autoimmune disease. But some of these other disorders that can mimic multiple sclerosis happen to be infections. And so as you can probably imagine, if you're dealing with some sort of infectious process, the last thing we would want to do is suppress your immune system. So it's vitally important that we have the right diagnosis to ensure that we're using the right treatment. Let's briefly uh, go through some of these um, different possibilities that you see uh, most often. Let's talk about those infections of the central nervous systems that you talked about. What are some of those uh, examples? Well, some of the disorders that we may look to rule out um, could include things like neurosyphilis, potentially Lyme disease. Um, For people who are severely immunocompromised, um, HIV um, can manifest in certain ways that might be a little bit similar to an initial MS presentation. What are some of those um, similarities? Well, with multiple sclerosis, we really get symptoms because of plaques that form within the nervous system. So the symptom will depend on wherever that plaque happens to develop. All of these different infectious processes are capable of forming lesions in the central nervous system as well. So if that infection starts to affect the area of the brain where an MS plaque could also land, they could in theory produce the exact same symptoms. So how would you um, differentiate them, you know, when you have a patient coming to you with some of those symptoms? Well, truth be told, a lot of the time we can rule out many of these things with the history alone. Um, And the physical exam, of course, um, helps us a great deal as well. Um, You know, for instance, if somebody is not immunocompromised or has no reason to be immunocompromised, that alone would make a lot of these different infectious processes extremely, extremely unlikely. Um, However, the imaging studies that we obtain we look for clues on there. You know, certain lesions will look classically MS, and it leaves very little question as to the diagnosis. But if it looks a little atypical and we're just not sure, that's where we might have to do further testing, such as a lumbar puncture, to start ruling out some of those alternative diagnoses. Okay, so let's shift gears gears a little bit uh, and talk about the inflammation and inflammatory disorders of the central nervous system, which can also um, sometimes mimic MS. Am I right? 
Yes, in fact, there are certain inflammatory disorders which could even potentially be a part of MS. Um, so, for instance, optic neuritis and transverse myelitis are two different inflammatory syndromes which very commonly occur within the setting of MS, but each one of those uh, syndromes can also occur in isolation. So not necessarily everybody who gets optic neuritis goes on to develop clinically definite MS. Same with transverse myelitis. And they're just what we call a clinically isolated syndrome. Um, but some of the other inflammatory disorders, um, several other autoimmune syndromes, such as Sjogren's, um, lupus, sarcoidosis, um, these diseases can also manifest with lesions of the central nervous system that can look an awful lot like MS lesions in certain cases and can very closely mimic the symptoms. Um, certain vascular disorders as well or, or vascular inflammatory disorders such as vasculitis um, could potentially present in the same way. There's also a unique autoimmune disorder of the central nervous system which is much more rare than MS, but can present in similar ways. Um, it's called NMO, or neuromyelitis optica. Um, there are certain distinct imaging findings that tend to be associated with this, so that can often give us some clues, um, but there may also be some blood tests um, that we might need to order in order to help differentiate. Going back to the first um, part of your explanation there, you know, you said that there, are, there could be in inflammatory disorders that um, somebody has with MS, but you also can have them um, individually or, or isolated cases. So, you know, how would you know, you know, if you, if you have MS, if they're going hand in hand, how would you make that distinction? Yeah, so that's a big part of the diagnostic criteria that goes into working somebody up for MS. Um, part of the diagnosis requires what we call separation of time and space. And what we mean by that is, in order to make a diagnosis of MS, you need two separate attacks that have both occurred at different times, as well as in different areas of the central nervous system. Um, so, for instance, that could be one episode of optic neuritis, and then years later, or months later, a separate episode of, say, a transverse myelitis. Now, sometimes um, we're able to make the diagnosis of MS after a single attack. Say, if somebody presents with an optic neuritis, and then we get an MRI of their brain, and we see multiple other lesions within the brain which are not actively enhancing with contrast, that lets us know that those lesions are older and they might have never actually caused a symptom, but we see them on the MRI. So now we have an optic neuritis which is brand new, some older lesions which we see on the brain which look older, and they're in two separate areas. So that meets that criteria of separation of time and space and we're able to make the diagnosis. However, for somebody who presents with a first episode of optic neuritis and the rest of their brain looks completely normal, and if we image their spinal cord and it looks completely normal, and digging through their history, they've never had any past episodes to suggest a possible demyelinating attack, well, then that's what we would call the clinically isolated syndrome. 
And that is somebody that we would just watch very closely because while there's a very good chance that they may never have another attack and go on to have MS, um, if and whenever they do, or if we notice imaging changes on their MRI, even if they're not having symptoms, we could then make a definitive diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. So is there anything else that we should know um, when it comes to, you know, disguising itself as MS? Yeah, well, really, the differential could be rather broad. Um, Certain genetic conditions could even do it. Of course, you know, family history would come into play to a great deal there. Sometimes even metabolic disorders, um, severe B12 deficiency um, could cause lesions, particularly of the spinal cord that could mimic MS, Um, copper deficiencies, um, several other factors there um, within the metabolic realm um, that might be worth investigating. And uh, obviously, if it does end up being one of these metabolic etiologies, um, that would be a dramatic dif- dramatically different treatment as compared to multiple sclerosis because in most cases, it would simply involve correcting the metabolic abnormality. So if there's a very low B12 level, you, sim- you just replace the B12. Um, one of the biggest things too is it it can kind of depend on somebody who's simply presenting with possible symptoms of MS versus if we also have the MRI data to go along with it. Um, what's so difficult in the early stages when somebody's just presenting with symptoms, um, you know, virtually any neurologic symptom, if you looked it up on the internet, MS would be listed as a possible cause. Um, and this is because, as I mentioned earlier, MS causes these plaques within the nervous system, and wherever that plaque happens to land, that's what's going to cause the symptom. So anything from numbness to weakness to visual disturbance to cognitive problems to pain, bladder dysfunction, bowel dysfunction. So you can see just how broad the symptoms are. Um, It's really hard to pick any nervous system symptom that couldn't possibly be caused by MS. And so a lot of that is reassuring our patients early on just because we have this wide array of symptoms by no means does that guarantee that that's going to be the diagnosis. It may be something we'll want to closely look into and and look to rule out, Um, but that's where the imaging then comes in because if you're having all those symptoms in the absence of plaques, then it's very, very unlikely that MS would be the explanation. You said that so well because we've even talked about this several times on this podcast of you know, MS brings so many symptoms and so many questions uh, up front for those newly diagnosed or just newly um, seeking out answers. And we even had a, you know, a patient on here before who said, Google is your worst enemy. Um, So what is your suggestion, advice to those, um, you know, who might be presenting with some of those symptoms, not yet who've had imaging, uh, you know, where do they start? Um, you know, what's your advice and message to them? Well, I think the best advice would simply be to, you know, speak up and, and be your own advocate. You know, we, as, as doctors, you know, we can't know whether or not you might have a certain disease process going on without knowing the symptoms you're having that might lead us to that diagnosis. Um, So my advice would be let your doctors know about it, but don't automatically panic if you're having a collection of symptoms, no matter what they may be, 
if you do look them up and see that MS is on that differential. Um, because again, you know, more often than not, thankfully, when I have people that come to my office and express to me, doctor, I'm having these symptoms, I'm worried it could be MS, thankfully, most of the time, that is not what they end up having. Um, but very often, those symptoms might warrant me to look into it, and I will still do a workup to evaluate for MS. To kind of go along with that, you know, one final question that I had, um, you know, to kind of piggyback, I guess, off of something you, you mentioned earlier, why is it not possible to, uh, you know, just put somebody on a medication just in case? You know, they're presenting with these symptoms. Uh, they, you know, you think they're, they have MS. Uh, we're not sure. Why is it uh, not a good idea to put them on medication? Great question. Great question. And, you know, it, thankfully, within the realm of MS, our treatments have come an extremely long way over the years. And, and we now have very, very effective drugs that can shut this disease down. Um, but unfortunately, these drugs are not without some baggage, um, you know, because they are, um, in most cases, powerful immunosuppressive drugs. Um, while we know what we need to monitor for, and in general, they are relatively safe, they're not completely without risk. Um, they do open us up to certain opportunistic infections and can have other complications depending on which medication we go with. So in general, you know, we say in medicine, um, virtually no treatment is benign. Um, there, there's always risks associated with everything we do in medicine. And we wouldn't want to expose a patient to those risks unnecessarily if it turns out they may not even need them. Very, very good advice there. Thank you so much, Dr. Pugar, for spending your time with us and breaking down some important um, information. You're very welcome.